Acts 5, 17 to 42. Hear the word of our Lord. But the high priest rose up and those with him, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest and those with him came, they called the Sanhedrin together, even all the council of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the jailhouse for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the jailhouse locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors, but we opened it and found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly commanded you not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This one God exalted to his right hand as a leader and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they became furious and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all those who were following him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away people after him. He too perished, and all those who were following him were scattered. So in the present case, I also say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or you may even be found fighting against God. So they followed his advice, and after calling the apostles in and beating them, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Well, good morning. So about a month ago, 
I got an email from Pastor Seth asking if I'd be willing to preach this Sunday. Um, I was a bit surprised to get this email. Uh, I, it was in the morning, I was in my office uh, at my house. So I went out and I asked my family what they thought of the idea of, of me preaching here at Oak Ridge. And, and what I was met with were, were looks of absolute horror um, on, on five out of six of my family members. Well, one of them was excited about it. You guys can try to figure out who that was. Um, now, I'm, I'm not throwing you guys under the bus. My family's very supportive of me generally. And, and if you count me, uh, there were six out of seven Joneses with that look of horror on our faces. Um, and I'd say for good reason. I've, I've never preached before. I've, I've never really even done public speaking before. Um, I did have a dream once, though, that, that I preached here at Oak Ridge. Now, now, before you get excited and think, you know, maybe Chris is meant to preach. Maybe it was even a prophetic dream. Let's hope not. <laughs> this dream was a nightmare. Uh, in my dream, I completely forgot what I was going to preach about. I forgot my outline that I'd prepared. And as I was sitting there in the back, uh, my youngest, who was a baby at the time, this is about nine years ago, uh, spit up all over on my pants. So it, it turned into your, your classic public speaking dream or I'm in front of everybody, not knowing what to say, in my underwear. <laughs> so, but, but I've got my notes today, and, and I'm wearing pants, so <laughs> we're off to a good start. So we'll be talking about evangelism today. Uh, last spring, as many of you know, we started an evangelism team here at Oak Ridge. We've been going out uh, from house to house, uh, just trying to share the gospel with people, inviting people to our church. And lately we've added in uh, going into Stillwater some Sundays and, and sharing with people there, uh, handing out gospel tracts and, and just trying to share the good news of Christ. I want everyone to know, though, I'm, I'm not holding myself out as some example. Uh, I'm relatively new to, to corporate evangelism. I, I do think I have some perspective of some who used to not partake in, in such evangelism and, and who now does. So before we jump into our text, uh, let's just define some terms. Some of you were at the, the evangelism workshop this spring led by uh, Nick, who's, who's not here today, but so I'm, I'm lifting a couple definitions from him. So first, what is evangelism? Evangelism means to proclaim good news or to proclaim the gospel, with the gospel meaning good news. And, and the way Nick defined the gospel is there, that I thought was really helpful is there's three parts to it. So part one is we sinned before a holy God and, and, and we will be punished for that sin. We are going to face God on Judgment Day, and we're going to be made objects of his wrath on that day. Part two of the gospel is, so this is the good news part, is that Jesus, fully God, fully man, uh, came to earth in fulfillment of prophecy. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. And, and, uh, and part three, then, is what do we do about this? What do we do about parts one and two? And what we do is we repent, we acknowledge Jesus, and confess Jesus as our Lord. So let's keep this in mind as we look at our text. Uh, please pray with me. Lord God, I pray for your help in communicating today what I've prepared. Uh, Lord, please use me to deliver this message despite my weakness, God. I, I pray that, that this message would not be discouraging to this congregation, Lord, but, but would rather encourage us uh, to live lives worthy of the calling, Lord. Use it to spur us on, God. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Okay, so we see at the beginning of our text the apostles being arrested. Let me real quickly just go back and, and show you how we got there. Um, so at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see Jesus ascend into heaven, and then immediately afterward, the apostles are doing two things primarily. We see them praying continually. So in chapter 1, verse 14, we see them praying continually. And then in chapter 2, oh, the other thing, so praying and evangelizing. So the, in chapter 2, we see Peter preaching a very clear gospel message. He highlights sin. He explains who Jesus is and what he did. And, and then we see part 3 of the gospel, that what do we do about it, in uh, chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repent, follow Jesus, be baptized, obey him. So trouble comes quickly for the apostles. Uh, we see in chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel. Now, ultimately, since no crime has been committed, they're, they're released, but they are, they are ordered in uh, verse 18, they're commanded by the authorities not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court, they had the authority to, to punish them for disobeying this commandment, now that they've, this command. So now that they'd given them a command, uh, they could punish them even unto death. So in chapter 4, verse 29, the way the apostles respond is they pray for confidence, and then after that, they go forth boldly preaching. They continue to preach, which brings us to our text today. So after defying this order, we see they're arrested again in chapter 5, verse 18. But before they're brought before the court of the Sanhedrin, an angel comes and, and releases them from jail. And, and, and then they, they, go, they go to the temple, uh, and they start preaching even more and teaching. Um, only to be arrested again and then brought before the Sanhedrin this time. So now they're taken to the Sanhedrin. In verse 28, we see the high priest says to them, We strictly commanded you not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The apostles' uh, remarkable response to this is in verses 29 to 32. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This one God exalted to his right hand as a leader and a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who obey him. So the high priest says, Why did you defy us? Why are you preaching in the name of Jesus? And their, their response is to preach Jesus to the Sanhedrin. So, so to recap, the apostles are preaching. They get arrested. They're told, stop preaching. They keep preaching. They get arrested again, and, and only to escape from jail, preach a little bit more, get arrested for a third time. They're asked, why do you keep preaching the name of Jesus? And the response is, is to preach Christ to the Sanhedrin. We see the Sanhedrin's unsurprising response in verse 33. When they heard this, they became furious and intended to kill them. Now, by God's providence and, and this Pharisee named Gamaliel, uh, they are spared at this time from being executed, but they are beaten and they're threatened once more not to speak in the name of Jesus. And we see the response to that in verses 41 and 42. 
So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So, so they rejoice that they are beaten. And, and then they go and they start preaching in the temple, which the temple was, was the public square of the time. Uh, that's where you would go to, to preach to the public. That's where you were going to find a lot of people. But they weren't content just preaching to the public at large. They wanted to make sure everyone heard this, this good news of the gospel. And so it says they went from house to house as well. That's a lot of work. That requires dedication and organization. And, and they did all this under the threat of, of death and after being beaten. So my question for us today is, why don't we live this way? And, and should we live this way? Well, uh, let me first address some common reasons that Christians give for why we don't or even why we shouldn't live this way. So first, I, I'm not called to be an evangelist, or I'm, I'm not gifted in that way. Well, there's a difference biblically, biblically between an evangelist and, and those who evangelize. So some argue that an evangelist was an office in the church, and some churches have even brought back this office as a, basically a, a type of elder to serve alongside the deacons and the other elders. We see some basis for this in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 and 12. So we see there that Jesus gave evangelists, as well as apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, but, but equipping to do what? what? What do the evangelists equip the saints to do? They're not evangelizing to the saints. The saints are already saints, right? They, they're, they're not telling them the good news of Christ. They already, they already know the good news of Christ. So the argument is that they're equipping them to evangelize. They're teaching the saints to evangelize. Um, also, let's take a look at uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. So this is the Great Commission. So we read here, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So uh, on its face, this would seem to be saying, yeah, we, we are all to go you know, make, make disciples of the nations. We're all called to evangelize. Now, some people argue, well, this was just given to the apostles, and this doesn't apply to us. But, but if you look more closely at the Great Commission, we see that this is, do we have it? We see that this is a commandment, that Jesus is commanding them, go make disciples of the nations. And then he commands them to teach them, the, the disciples, to keep all that I've commanded you. So do you catch that? As D.A. Carson helpfully points out, the Great Commission doesn't command the apostles to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, except for this commandment to make disciples. We are to obey all the commandments given to the apostles, including this commandment to make disciples found in the Great Commission. Evangelism is the means by which God draws disciples to himself. So when Jesus says to make disciples of the nations, evangelism is, is a necessary part of that. Okay, yeah, evangelism isn't just for the professionals or the gifted. It's for all of us. We're all called to evangelize. Another reason Christians give for not evangelizing, and this is a big one, is fear. 
Well, I've got two passages for us today on the subject of fear. Romans 8, verses 15 to 17, we read, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So we need to remember who we are and who we serve. We are children through adoption of the all-powerful God who spoke the universe into being. We need not fear anything on this earth. Second passage, 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 and 8. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline or self-control, as some translations have it. So this is a statement. It's not a suggestion. It's not saying, guys, you should work on not having this spirit of fear. Instead, you should work on feeling power and love and self-control. No, it's telling us what God already did for us. He gave us that spirit. Do we believe this? Let me say as well, to, to not have a spirit of fear, it doesn't mean we never feel fear. Like we, we can feel fear, but we don't let that fear control us. The, the first time I went out door knocking, evangelizing, I was with Katya, and the very first house we knocked on, I was, I was very nervous, and, uh, and when I get nervous, hopefully I'm not doing it right now, but I tend to talk too fast, and so we knock on this door, and this guy instantly, it's like he was waiting for, waiting for us there, he opens the door, and, and I just start just talking entirely too fast, I, I had prepared some things I was going to say, I, I just said all of them in about 10 seconds, and so he, he just looks at me kind of strange, shuts the door, <laughs> I'm not interested. Um, but, but that feeling of fear, that nervousness, it, it very quickly passed away, it went away. Uh, other people have had the same experience, those of us who've been going out. And instead it was replaced with that, that spirit of power and love that we read about. Next reason that people give for not evangelizing. People in the United States already know the gospel. They just, they just reject it or they accept it. In my experience, this is not true. Even churched people we talk to often don't know the gospel. That, that three parts, right? That, that we sin against a holy God. We're, we're going to face God on judgment day for it. Jesus Christ came. He lived the life we were meant to live. He took the punishment that we deserve. And if we repent and believe in him, we can have freedom from sin and forgiveness of sin. Uh, I've, I've probably said that those lines to... 50 people in the last six months, and, and I'd say it's hard to tell, but certainly the majority were unfamiliar with, with that concept. Perhaps there was once a time where people in this country knew the, the gospel or, or in the West, but I honestly doubt it. In present-day evangelism, this is an article written by A.W. Pink. It was written over 100 years ago, and he laments that the church and even evangelists refused to discuss the depravity of man. So, so the, the church, even back then in the West, um, they, they were skipping part one of the gospel. They, they were jumping right to part two. You can't understand the good news without understanding uh, part one, that, that you are headed for hell. 
So an incomplete and false gospel was being taught, and, I, and that certainly is the case today in many churches. By the way, I'm going to quote from this article I, I, a couple times in this sermon. I highly recommend you read it. It's short, uh, Present Day Evangelism by A.W. Pink, if you want to write that. Okay, final reason that I'm going to cover today that, that Christians give for why we don't evangelize. We should just live a life ready to share. Well, of course we should live a life ready to share. We should take every opportunity the Lord gives us. But we shouldn't just live a life ready to share. That's not what we see in Acts 5. Rather, we see a very bold and active approach. James 1, verses 22 to 25, speaks to this point. But become doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man will be blessed in what he does. When you read James 1, you aren't left thinking that the Christian life is one of waiting around. It's an active life. It's not passive. Now, it's interesting to me that James 1 doesn't say the following. It doesn't say doers of the word will do a great work and accomplish much. But rather, the focus is on, is on us. Doers of the word will be blessed in what they do. So what are some blessings that we can expect to receive uh, when we obey God's commandment to evangelize? Well, there are many. Um, we'll be covering seven today. So blessing number one of evangelizing. Evangelizing drives you to learn God's word on a deeper level. Perhaps you don't feel prepared to go out evangelizing. Well, this problem is going to take care of itself. As you are faithful to the call to evangelize and you're talking to people, you're going to want to become better equipped. You're going to, you're going to want to study God's word better or, or more closely. And by the way, studying God's word is a lot more fulfilling when we're utilizing it. In fact, it's maybe only fulfilling when we're utilizing it, when we're doers of the word. Uh, let me give you a personal example of, of this, this drive to become better equipped. So maybe, maybe late spring, early summer, uh, I was down at Planned Parenthood with, with the group that goes down there, uh, with the abortion outreach group, and a Somalian man, a Muslim man, came up. He was talking to Lee um, and another woman who was down there. Eventually, I got pulled into this conversation, and, and it was good. I, I shared the gospel with him through, through a lot of interruptions, but there, there were some things I, I felt I could have done better. So he was really pushing on, on the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and I was able to explain it, but I, I just, I was a little frustrated with myself that I couldn't articulate it a little more clearly than I wanted. Now, I don't think we should be beating ourselves up and saying, oh, I messed that up. But I do think it's, it's healthy and, and even sanctifying for us to say, you know what, that, that was a weakness. I, I could have done better, and next time I will, and I'm going to spend some time studying God's Word. I also talked to some brothers here at Oak Ridge who uh, know about Islam more than I do, and, and, and they gave me some great tips for... Uh, evangelism to Muslims. So uh, what ended up paying off, uh, let's see, a couple months ago, I was out door knocking just down the street here, actually. I was with Katya, and, and little Jacob Yang was with me. And uh, a, a Bosnian man who, who was Muslim, or a man from Bosnia who was Muslim, answered the door. He was, he was missing one of his legs. He said that Christians blew his leg off in the war back in Bosnia. 
So it was a, a rough start to the conversation, but, but it ended up being really just a, a great talk. We talked for over 30 minutes, and I was just so pleased that some of the same topics came up, and, and I was better prepared, I was better equipped uh, to address those topics. All that aside, our job is to plant seeds, right? In Luke 10, verses 2 and 3, we see that God is the Lord of the harvest. We are simply his laborers. So if the Lord wants to use us, he will, uh, regardless of how prepared or unprepared we are. Blessing number two. Corporate evangelism leads to a life of evangelism. You're going to be more likely to share when opportunities arise if you've been going out and, and you've been practicing, you've been preaching. In Acts chapter 8, we see Philip, the evangelist, and, and he's going out and he's preaching in, in a very kind of organized way. But then later we see an opportunity arises and the Holy Spirit uh, prompts Philip to go talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. So interpersonal relationships are, are oftentimes the more effective means of evangelism, there's no doubt. But, but we're going to be more likely to be utilized in those circumstances, those situations, if we're taking part in corporate evangelism. All right, blessing number three, fruit. And by fruit, I mean conversion of sinners. So first, a, a disclaimer. In present-day evangelism, A.W. Pink warns against making conversions the primary purpose of evangelism. He writes, once a man makes the conversion of sinners his prime design and all-consuming end, he is exceedingly apt to adopt a wrong course. Instead of striving to preach the truth in all its purity, he will tone it down so as to make it more palatable to the unregenerate. Impelled by a single force moving in one fixed direction, his object is to make conversion easy, and therefore favorite passages like John 3.16 are dwelt upon incessantly, while others are ignored or pared away. So the primary purpose of evangelism isn't for the fruit. But, but with that disclaimer out of the way, um, when there is fruit, that fruit is so sweet. If you've been part of someone's coming to the Lord, you, you know what I mean. And, and if you haven't been, pray that the Lord would use you in that way. It's, it's one of the sweeter things we can experience in this life. A few months ago, we got to watch a brother who started coming to Oak Ridge through our ministry uh, repent and be baptized. I, I, I hope that my son, who was with me when we knocked on that door, remembers that moment. It was a beautiful thing. Blessing number four. Corporate evangelism fosters friendship between brothers and sisters in the church. There's a unity in serving together, a, a bond that we share, those of us who've been going out. I, I love afterwards we, we share stories of our experiences and, and we pray for the people that we talk to. Um, I'm, I'm going to resist. I, I want to give some examples, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. So I'll move on. But uh, blessing number five, an assurance of being born again. Now, now, for some reason, this topic has been on my mind lately, this idea of we must be born again. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, don't know why. Yeah, a, a, a week ago, Seth texted me and asked, what are you naming the sermon? And, and I replied, you must be born again, part seven. <laughs> but <laughs> ended up not going with that, though. So to be clear, our assurance of being born again doesn't come from the act of evangelism. 
right, we see in Matthew 7, verses 22 to 24, on Judgment Day in response, uh, Jesus replies in response to people saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Jesus will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? Any, anyone can do anything. We can do any action. It doesn't mean anything as far as our assurance goes. But where we can receive assurance is when we are being obedient and we notice a heart change. When we start enjoying evangelism. Now, I'm not saying we're always going to be excited to go out, but, but you should experience a change as you are being faithful to this call. Something changes inside of us. We should experience that spirit of power and love and self-discipline that we read about. It feels so good to be on the offensive. Even the interactions with people that, that don't go so well, um, where people are rude or, or yell or swear at us, it, it, they stop bothering you, or at least they've stopped bothering me. But more importantly than that, we start caring for the people we're talking to. Which brings us to blessing number six, a greater care for the lost. We are to care for the lost. In Galatians 6, verse 10, we read, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. This is very difficult to do without meeting them or knowing them, not just practically, but emotionally and spiritually. So six years ago, I didn't care about orphans. Hmm. This is unexpected. So six years ago, I, I didn't care about orphans. I, I knew intellectually that it was sad that there were kids in the world without parents, but, but I didn't truly care, not deeply. I wasn't doing anything about it. <clears throat> then my wife convinced me that we should sign up for a hosting program where we'd bring such a child into our home for a month. Um, over Christmas. I, I thought it seemed like a good idea, so I agreed to it. Uh, so, so we signed up, and, and we, we went to the airport. We picked up this nervous 14-year-old girl, and, and the reality of living in this world without parents hit me. The, the reality, I could see the pain in this girl of, of, of living in an orphanage the last 11 years with no parents to tuck her in at night. It was no longer intellectual. So the Lord gave me a, a deep and unwavering love for this child. He, he gave me that, that fatherly instinct I have for my own children. I, I suddenly had for her. So 10 months later, my wife and I found ourselves in a courthouse in a small town in Ukraine. And there the judge declared that, that we were this girl's parents through adoption. And she was our daughter through adoption. For those of you who know my daughter, Katya, you, you know what a, what a mighty work the Lord has done in her in these last five years. Hmm. Guys, there's a lot of hurting people in this world. We're, we're not going to be able to care for them or even care about them unless we get out there and we meet them. Okay. Number seven. So the final and perhaps the, the, the most important blessing to us is it's an opportunity to suffer. Can we be on board with that as a blessing? Well, let's look at our text. The text demands that we do. In our text, in Acts 5, verse 41, after being beaten, the apostles rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. 
The, person they, the persecution they face is because of their boldness, right? The Sanhedrin tell them, stop preaching and you're fine. We'll leave you alone. Remember how they responded, though. They, they preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin. In this instance, they were protected from death, but Peter and many of the other apostles ultimately were martyred for their boldness and for, for preaching Christ and preaching the gospel. These men truly believed that to live is Christ, to die is gain, and they acted on this belief. Going back to Romans 8, verses 15 to 17, we are called to suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with Christ. Do you see why I categorize this as a blessing? Is there any greater blessing than to suffer alongside Christ who suffered for us so we can have forgiveness of our sins? Is there any greater blessing than to be glorified with Christ? In, first, in 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 and 8, we are to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God so that suffering doesn't occur because we believe the gospel. When Paul writes to suffer for the gospel, he's writing from prison. And in verses 11 and 12, he writes, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. He didn't suffer simply because he believed the gospel. He suffered because he preached it. Christians, I think, tend to think that this call to persecution might look like the following. We just live our lives, we try to be moral, we go to church, and someday, in the unlikely event that someone puts a gun to our head and says, renounce Christ or die, we have to be ready to take that bullet. Now, now we should be ready to take that bullet if that does happen. But, and, and this has happened, and, and maybe it will happen to us, but this is not the usual way that Christians are persecuted. The world is generally fine with us believing whatever we want to believe, right? Whatever works for you. Nobody cares that you're a Christian as long as you keep it to yourself. The world only gets upset when we start preaching Christ to others. Back to John Bunyan. All he had to do to be released from prison was say he'd stop preaching. His wife suffered greatly because he, he refused to do that. Think how he suffered. Think how his children suffered without their father, one of them blind. Yet Bunyan refused to stop preaching. A time is coming and, and maybe it's already arriving, it seems to be, when it's going to be a lot easier for us in America and in the West to suffer persecution as we are called to do for preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Are we surprised to see people who protest the evil being done at Planned Parenthood now being targeted and arrested? If we're reading our Bibles, we shouldn't be surprised. Let's not be fearful, though, right? We have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again but we've received the spirit of adoption by sons whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's press onwards. Let's be ready to face whatever the world throws at us. Consider the following perspective. I, I think it can be helpful. So we were headed for hell, we Christians, and there was nothing we could do about it. Instead, the Lord Jesus saved us from the wrath of God in eternal damnation. And God the Father adopted us into his heavenly family so we can be fellow heirs with Christ and live with him in paradise for all eternity. Anything that we face here is nothing compared to what we would have faced were it not for Christ. We were saved from being enemies of God. We, we need not fear our earthly enemies. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like we were saved from the jaws of an angry lion 
and now we're going to be scared of some squirrels in a tree throwing acorns at us. And, and that's not to belittle the, the perils of this world, for they are great, but, but they pale in comparison to, to what we would have faced. And, and by the way, if you aren't following Jesus today, and so you haven't been saved from the wrath to come, then you should fear it. If you understood it, you would fear it. God gave you life, and, and you are in rebellion against him. You will die someday, your body will return to the dust, and your soul will return to God from whence it came. And then you will face judgment and condemnation. While in prison, John Bunyan wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. Now, in this book, the main character, Christian, he, he feels a great burden of his sins. He carries this great burden on his back. He feels the weight of his sins. And he can't do anything to get rid of it. And, and he fears the wrath to come. He, he knows judgment is coming to him. So he asks the character Evangelist what he should do about it. And Evangelist points across a great plain. And he says, do you see yonder wicked gate? Now this gate represents Jesus. So do you see yonder wicked gate? Christian looks and he says, no. So evangelist says to him, do you see yonder shining light? Christian looks and says, I, I think I see it. So evangelist says to him, keep that light in your eye and go up directly there too. So shalt thou see the gate at which when thou knockest, it should be told thee what thou shalt do. If this is you, and if you feel the burden of your sins and the emptiness of your sins, and if you fear the wrath to come, as you should, if you fear judgment, and if you even think you can see that light, that light of Jesus Christ, then fix your eyes on that light and run to it. Run to the light. Run to Jesus Christ. And when you reach that gate and Jesus saves you from your sins, the burden you carry of your sins will fall from your back. And you will no longer have anything to fear. What a miracle it is that we can go from being the enemies of God because of our, because of our sinfulness to being the sons and daughters of God through adoption. Okay, I'll close with this. So Oak Ridge, our small church could make waves. L look at all of us. Could we fill Stillwater with our teaching? As, as the apostles were accused of filling Jerusalem with their teaching? We've knocked on over a thousand, maybe, maybe close to two thousand doors. We've been going out two by two. We've barely scratched the surface. I feel like our church could grow. Wouldn't it be wonderful for this church to grow, not through programs, but through winning souls and discipling them and training them to then preach the gospel to the lost? That's how revival happens. Our evangelism ministries could expand. We could have, we could have I don't know, have a booth or, or we could have a, a college ministry some of us have been talking about. Um, it doesn't have to look what, like what we're currently doing, but we, we have to do something. It doesn't look like just sitting around and waiting for opportunities every other year. 
In our text, I love what the apostles do because it's so uncomplicated. They just go out and they just start sharing with people and preaching the good news. This is a special church. The wonderful thing about this church is that we can reach the law simply by inviting people in here. Right? One sows and another reaps. Our church is faithful preaching. We have loving fellowship. We have a congregation that knows the word of God and wants to embrace people that come in here. I've, I've seen it so many times. The, the brother I mentioned earlier who was baptized here, at that house, all we did, Henry and I, we, we knocked on the door. I, we talked to his wife who was already following God, uh, talked about how we both like John MacArthur and told him about Oak Ridge, invited them in, and, and that was it. That was, that was the only part I played in that. But, but under the faithful preaching here in, the, in this congregation, the Lord started moving in that brother's heart. So let me say this as well. We're, we're not after fake conversion. So if we invite people in and they stop, they don't come back, that's, that's fine. That's okay. The Lord saves, not us. So A.W. Pink writes that man's plight is such that his salvation is impossible unless God puts forth his mighty power. No stirring of the emotions by anecdotes, no regaling of the senses by music, no oratory of the preacher, no persuasive appeals are of the slightest avail. Our job is to preach Christ and that's it, no matter the result. We preach Christ and if the Lord wills it, conversion will happen. To be clear, the primary purpose of the preaching here at Oak Ridge is for the edification of the saints. It's not for evangelism of the lost. But we see in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23 to 25, that unbelievers can enter into a church and, and they can come to know Christ. So there is a biblical foundation for this. So yes, let's invite unbelievers in, but no, let's not water down our preaching uh, to make the service more palatable for unbelievers. May, may Oak Ridge never be a seeker-sensitive church. Evangelism can be hard work at times. It's full of disappointment, but it's a joyous and sanctifying work. It's the means that God uses to grow his church. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, we read, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What a joy we should count it to fulfill this ministry of evangelism through hardships. We can live the way the apostles lived that we see in Acts 5. We can be just as zealous for evangelism as they are. They were. Um, but that, that doesn't mean we're going to be going out daily, uh, necessarily. But wouldn't it be wonderful if that was our desire? Let's pray about how we can be used by the Lord. Let's pray for confidence and boldness as the apostles prayed. Let me close with the following. Luke 10, verses 2 to 3. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. Lord, and we do now earnestly pray that you would send out labors into your harvest, God. Yes. What an honor it is, Lord, <clears throat> to be your labors. God, give us confidence and boldness to do this work. Lord, 
Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your suffering. You suffered so that we could have freedom from our sins, Lord, and forgiveness of our sins. God, we are so grateful. You gave us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. You, Lord, gave us the Holy Spirit so that we no longer need to be slaves of fear. I pray that we would use this gift, Lord, to serve you with all that we do. Let us bring glory to your name, your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 We've uh, heard a mighty, loving, and urgent appeal to obey the command of God to evangelize. And I pray that that strikes you in your heart. And not only the urgency of the command, but also the blessing that's promised to those who obey. I pray that that would encourage you to engage in this great work for the glory of Christ. He's worthy. He's worthy of it. Let's end on an extended benediction from Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher or the slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear them. You are of more value than many sparrows. And may we all go in the comfort and in the hope and power of those words of our Lord Jesus Christ.